This episode of the podcast was recorded over a Zoom call uh, at a time when physical distancing is important to us. Uh, so you will find that depending on the quality of the internet connection, uh, it can get choppy at times. Uh, but for the most part, you will be able to hear the conversation clearly. Hello everyone, uh, it's another episode of the Hello Mentor podcast. Uh, we have Ai Ching Go, the founder of PictoChart here with us today. Uh, Ai Ching started her professional career with a degree in experimental psychology. That's pretty interesting, right? Uh, and a media position at Procter & Gamble. Uh, she quickly discovered her entrepreneurial spirit and transitioned to a startup mindset. Uh, Ai Ching co-founded a web app originally, which turned to, into PictoChart eventually, uh, a visual communications tool that makes makes it easy to condense and consume information. Uh, as a startup that operates from Penang, uh, but serves over 18 million users globally, Ai Ching has taken an unconventional approach to growth. Uh, she goes against the grain of what the startup world teaches a lot of passionate entrepreneurs uh, in areas including talent management, culture pruning, and also bootstrapping. And uh, yeah, so let's start the conversation. Hi, Derek. Uh, hi. Uh, yeah, thanks for making the time to join uh, us today for this. No, super happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think we've, um, like I mentioned before we started, you know, we, we sort of been in contact many, many years ago. This was like in the early days of what, but, you know, PictoChart has existed way before then, right? But I've never met you in person before. So this is the first yeah. time. I'm yeah. sort of meeting you in person. Uh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, and I, I, I was also telling you like how many, you know, like TikTok-ish videos I've been seeing from Walkman is super cool. Yeah. So I'm <laughs> like, you're like top of mind for me somehow. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's good. I, I, the team will be happy to hear that. Um, yeah. You're based in Penang. You're still in Penang now, is it? You're based there? That's right. That's right. Yes. Right, yeah. right, right. Uh, how, how is this whole um, MCO 2020, 21, which is like a second version of 2020 yeah. going for yeah. you. Um, so 2020 is easier to answer because it's like one whole year. Uh, I, I think the mm. word I kept using in the company was intense. I, I've never felt intense. like this before. Yeah, because mm. like I, I was joking with my friend the other day. Then she's like, oh, I feel the same way, which is I said what I usually accomplish and do in three or maybe even four years. I did it all in 2020. <laughs> so it's just like so many things that, you know, to plan and do and everything. And it, it all was done within like one year. Um, so the mm. pace of life and, and everything was just a lot more insane, I think. Um, in, but intense life is really the correct word. And I don't, I suspect that 2021 will not be any different from the way the year has begun. I don't think it will be any different. Yeah. <laughs> mm. and, 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 and there is in, so intense uh, means that you've actually um uh uh were there a lot of new stuff coming out uh, in picto chart uh, yeah. or like what what were you what were you very intense on mm -hmm. uh a lot of things actually so the you know at the early days of uh the pandemic so my like leadership team and I like we assessed you know and we nobody knew you know at that time there was like talk in march about a stock market bubble and then that the whole like world's economy may like you know plunge and we depend a lot on small medium businesses so we mm. thought like, hey, and in the US as well. So we thought like maybe if, you know, the uh, government 
whatever, like didn't allocate enough budget or relief uh, to help out the businesses, then they would crash. And therefore, you know, we might take a like quite a substantial one. So like all of these things that usually it's like financial planning, all that you do it, but your worst case scenario isn't the real worst case scenario because you know, the worst, worst case scenario won't happen, you know, but then yeah, in 2020, we just had to plan like in case that happened. Right. And plus a lot of this was like in the U S so we were a bit like, and Malaysians I felt were sheltered from it to some extent because like the fear and everything wasn't really here. I felt like a lot of businesses continued to operate apart from the the like more retail or restaurant ones, but um, everyone else continued. But in the US, the fear in that like second quarter of last year was quite big. And we also like yeah. made plans just to like, you know, slash budget. We actually did like some restructuring preemptively in case like things went off. Um, and we also launched like new products, everything. So like we used that year and we didn't, wasted at all like we weren't playing the defensive game like we played offensive at the same time so like i think all of that combined together made it a very intense year <laughs> that's that's so interesting uh, that because like your main uh customer base is in the u.s which yeah. means like because u.s obviously had a crazy year last yes. year right not just yes. with like the pandemic but politics yeah. and all that so yeah. so i pay attention to what happened in the u.s more out of interest and anything yeah. that happens in the u.s will sort of overflow to Malaysia somehow yeah but you are directly yes you know you're that right yeah that's why <laughs> that's it's like, like uh, crazy yeah when when I looked and I you know like looked at what was going on on like my Facebook like accounts are mostly like you know entrepreneurs and whoever in Malaysia or that so like friends ma. then Twitter is like mm-hmm. I only follow US based you know entrepreneurs and the type of things that they were talking about at the same time was just like a world of difference you know like in Malaysia oh it was God. like oh how do we work remotely you know how do you not go to office and then in the US, people were all making plans when it was like, okay, you need to be making your budget like, you know, from Andreessen, Horowitz and all that. Like they were making plans like, okay, this is your scenario, what A, B, C, okay? If your revenue drops by this much, you need to cut your budget by this much and like all that kind of stuff. Like I was really like, the, like I said, the world of difference between the two worlds. And, um, oh my God. Yeah, but I, uh, I, I, of course, like decided to do that because our customer base is there. So I, uh, yeah. I planned a little bit too much, but I think it was good. So the good news is that we didn't get hit uh, so terribly <laughs> or actually we weren't very impacted. Uh, by the time we got to mm. Q3, Q4, like numbers go back, went back to normal. Uh, Q2, we were oh, hit. Wow. Yeah, we were hit because there was uh, preemptively we got like cold leg, you know, so like... Um, sorry, cold feet. So like the customers that were supposed to sign on with us, like said, hey, we need, you know, our budgets all got frozen. So we cannot like sign any new deals um, until we know what's going on. Like the, you know, HQ is not releasing anything. So like we, Q2 was a bit tougher and that was when we made all of the plans, cut, cut, cut everything. And then after that, right. like Q3 actually, yeah, life went back to normal, like numbers and everything were, were back to normal. So um, yeah, yeah, that's why I said it was an I, interesting I can, I can sort of... I can sort of relate to that. Actually, for us also, Q2 was quite tough and challenging. Yeah. Like everything like almost half. Yeah. And then when in the end, that point in Q2, you sort of like, you're staring at like a very dark abyss. You don't know, is yeah. that, is it going to get worse? Like you yeah. know, you don't know, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm so glad you put through. And I want yeah. to sort of like rewind a little bit. So mm-hmm. I, I know actually PictoChart, um, your your customer base sounds very international, mostly in the US. In within yeah. Malaysia itself, um, uh, and especially within the startup community, you've I've always known PictoChart you very well. You've been around way before this was sort of a trend uh, to have mm. like a technology startup. Mm. 
mm-hmm. right? And and, yeah. and and many people regularly reference back to PictoChart as one of the mm-hmm. successes uh, in Malaysia, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. I love to hear that story, uh, like how yeah. how this entire thing sort of began. Uh, because when I went through your sort of resume, you're definitely not from a tech background, right? No, you're very far from a tech background. Yeah, yeah. so tell us how it, how it started. Yeah, um, so like, uh, maybe I have to go back to my education roots or something like that, because like the story kind of begins from there. Um, I studied mm-hmm. experimental psychology, which is already not a common uh, field of study. The difference between psychology and experimental is that experimental was very statistically driven. Like you can consider it a form of like neurobehavioral. So it's not mm. like pure psychology. Like it had a lot, a lot of science behind that. Um, I studied psychology because I was interested in people, helping people with mental health issues. That was like one of my lifelong passion. It still is actually. Um, and uh, so I did that. But then the first year of study itself, when I started doing all the statistical, like, you know, I just cannot believe like the word psychology is derived from the word psyche, which means psyche is like the word for soul. I think I can't remember if it's Greek or something, but um and, and I cannot believe that you would be able to tell what's going on in a person's soul by using statistical significance. You know, it was just like, to me, not like nonsensical, but I finished up my uh, studies anyway because my parents paid for it. I felt really bad. Um, but during, <laughs> yeah, during that time, I was very heavily in, involved in ISAC. Uh, I was in UK actually. So like ISAC was very, very big. And then, um, so I mixed with friends who were all like, after that, all of them went on to like work at, World Bank, you know, like investment banks and <laughs> like UN and all that kind of uh, organization. So I was heavily influenced by them. So the first internship when I came back uh, to Malaysia was obviously I knew I didn't want to be a clinical psychologist anymore. So um, I went to bank and that's why I, I was at CIMB actually as an intern in the private equity side. And it gave me a lot of exposure. But then I also realized, oh my goodness, this numbers thing, not for me. <laughs> like, oh, really? I, yeah, I... I liked it, but then I didn't like the numbers, but like private equity had to do with growing companies, right? So it was my first like, okay, I got insight into it, but then I was like, okay, this number thing is like intimidating me too much. I'm not like that kind of person too. So then I thought like, okay, you know, what can combine like my use of psychology, understanding of human, like human empathy and all that. So I thought maybe try out a marketing role. So then I joined an FMCG also in KL. That was my first job. And while I was there, um, uh, I made a lot of friends, a lot of friends who my like, you know, I'm still friends with them until today. But I also came to realize like very, very quickly, this one was more, not that the role itself wasn't made for me. I still do marketing until today. It's just that it was a very big organization, like, uh, you know, more than a hundred, I don't know, 80 year old organization by then. And it's obviously inherited certain cultures and everything where you went in and you need to conform to a particular set of like values, you know, thinking and all that. And I felt that I really did not conform. Like I had a lot of um, things in me, like I have bias to action. I, I like experimenting and all that. And being an organization of that size, it wasn't possible. So I felt, I, I left actually feeling very um, stupid, to be honest. Like I feel like that's the word I would oh, use. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah, very, very useless. Um, I've always been a, like a very high achiever my whole life, but then... Uh, leaving that company, I've never felt more worthless. And also um, after that, I had this uh, health issue where I had to, you know, go to the surgery, mm-hmm. like through a surgery to remove it. Uh, most people recover very quickly after two weeks. I was bedridden for three months. And during that three months, I was like on my iPad, 
you know, reading, playing games. And I was like, what on earth am I doing with my life? I'm so young, <laughs> you know, to go through this whole, I didn't even know the word. Yeah. I didn't know the word was burnt out back then, you know, but um, mm, I went through mm. very severe Monday blues. Um, and I knew that all of these things combined together gave me that disease, like, you know, that actually took me a while to get rid of it uh, after I became an entrepreneur. But uh, the, the idea is that I'm not blaming on that organization, okay? It's just that it was my own naivety or so, like, how do I put it? Like, it's not uh, totally the organization. Mm. I was very unprepared for the working, the working world. Um, and I think I have very different expectations as well. So um, thanks to that whole, you know, being in bed for three months and I was like, at, at that point, and you rightly pointed this out because this was like 10, 11 years ago, there was no, not many organizations, even Google, et cetera, didn't even have a footprint here, you know? Um, so I mm. wouldn't have been able to join a company like that. So I thought, okay, if it doesn't exist, then you know what? Why don't, you know, we start something. So we equals to my husband and myself. Um, so we started like building websites for clients. That was what we did for a living for about a year while looking for the idea of crypto chart. So yeah, that's mm. the backstory. It, it's that, all that's, oh, that's <laughs> Oh, that's that's so interesting. So so you actually started building websites for people. That's what got yeah. you into this, like a step into this internet space. Yes, like. yes. But right, I, right, I have right. to tell you, Derek, nothing was calculated, right? It Like a lot of people thought that, you know, like now I'm like very big proponent about, uh, sorry, uh, what do you call that? Like not activists, like evangelists about like culture, you know, four day work weeks and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of people think that like everything that I did was very intentional, you know, from the beginning. But I have to say it wasn't. It's just that, now, looking back, I'm able to tie the dots because like, you know, I'm able to connect the dots, but uh, it wasn't like, oh, after this, do this, after this, do that. Like, I never, <laughs> like, it was like very happenstance, you know, not uh, not arranged at all. Uh, so, mm. Actually, I find something quite common with um, a lot of entrepreneurs. So the people that I've actually sort of interviewed or even just friends, like, yeah. in that, you you have like a very um creative sort of experimental personality. Yeah. So so sometimes when you when you refer back to let's say your previous companies, right? It's like these are very good companies, but because there's so much structure, yes. that you know you you will someone who's very creative will feel very stifled and yeah. like they're not right. Yeah, they are maybe perhaps you you um the work isn't the style of working is not as yeah. valued. You know, as yeah. someone that can just follow the one two three four five six you know style yeah. right follow the steps um and right. and I, I suppose right and then and therefore you can yeah. and now when you come out and start your own thing suddenly like you yeah. are i will use the word like growing right you're yeah. you're in your you can make your decisions like, and experiment yeah. yourself right yeah yeah, yeah. No, you're, you're right i was just in a, the wrong company like with you know slightly different values i do think that larger like or corporate organizations are evolving this space like they realize and recognize these things but it's very tough, like 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 you said, right? Different people, like more creative ones or whatever, like uh, entrepreneurial ones, can find it very tough, like to live in such a, you know, like process-driven environment with lots of red tape and approval processes. Um, so yeah. <laughs> I probably want to come back to that thing about yeah. processes uh, yeah. uh, a bit later because obviously, sure. like PictoChart has also grown quite a little bit, and then yes. you as a business owner you might also face this challenge right how much yes. process how little process and all that yes because uh, you you don't want to be the kind of company where no one can have any creativity but process is also important yeah sometimes in order to be efficient yeah. have some standards so i'll come back there for a while so um uh so so after you started this company uh, sorry like helped out building websites and stuff 
how did yeah. that how do you make the leap from that to actually yeah. having pictocha yeah that one is uh, a lot more natural so what happened was um we were in penang and then uh you know like we served like the penang market and then i started to do a bit like i had connections obviously in kl because i was working there so started emailing you know doing all the like cold call type of things but i was like come on there must be a better like way of doing internet marketing than this so mm. i started reading up a lot and you know at that time it was like hubspot's founding moment so they were talking about like inbound marketing and like today i know like all of us are like, yeah of course like inbound marketing but you have to think you know 11 years ago life wasn't like this because back then when i was uh, educated right in the fmcg world like it was all about push marketing nothing was cool it was all like pay for ads pay for tv pay for radio pay for you know magazines pay for newspapers nothing was like like pool and like content marketing like that so um, I read up about it and I was like, this thesis, you know, that HubSpot has, like, sounds really correct. I could see the future of marketing shifting and that, like, going that way. I can see this thing picking up momentum. So then I looked up and I saw that there was also this thing called infographics, which I'm a very visual person. So I um, I learned by, by reading, actually. So I'm, like, totally visual. Anyway, like, that's my strength. So when I saw that... Um, uh, I saw infographics, so I tried to like look up a tool that you know would be able to do that. And to my surprise, there wasn't. I mean, the closest thing was like a, you know, Adobe. I learned it up, and I was like, okay, this is too tough. So the the initial motivation was like, let me do this for my clients, and let me do this for myself, you know, in order to try to get more clients, um, and spread the word about like why we're different. Uh, and then after that, I was just like, I was also at the same time. I have to confess, I was getting very sick of servicing clients because. Um, you know, chasing for money and all that lah from Malaysian clients not exactly <laughs> the best experience. Especially, like, you feel like it's a master and slave type of you know relationship versus a vendor partner type relationship. So um, yeah. I told my husband, I was like, why don't we build this product? You know, like give it a shot lah. What we have to lose, we have some cash. Uh, you know, we can afford to do this. So at that time, there were a couple of accelerators, and believe it or not, there was actually none. Like that was the time you have none. Today, there's so many, right? Like. Uh, we had Y Combinator, which had an intake twice a year, but I knew it was super competitive and I was scared of like, you know, getting rejected. Then like I have to go through the whole thing again. Um, and I really wanted to get started immediately. So I picked uh, China Accelerator, which was a tax class affiliate. And hmm. uh, from moment I applied until the moment we flew to China, it was one month, like, you know. So I left the company, the designers and developers that we hired to like service the clients. And Andre and I both left there for mm. like three, four months. And then mm. we started learning the basics, you know, of like lean, what, you know, what exactly do you, how do you do like MVPs, like, you know, validation, blah, 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 like the very basic stuff. Um, and that was the, you know, springboard, like basically to the rest of crypto uh, chart afterwards. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Oh, I didn't know this part. So, so, so you actually did like a crash course, lah. Yeah. An accelerator that's based in China. Yeah. As you imagine tech yeah. stars. Uh. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah it doesn't sound like it would be very common during those days. Hmm. Um, oh. It, right. I, right. Uh, I think JFDI, you know, in Singapore, which is like the oldest uh, accelerator that they have, they were just starting up, if mm. I'm not mistaken. And then, like, I I looked at it. I was like, mm, like. They don't seem to have a very strong, you know, uh, affiliate like connection like that. And then the China one, I felt like for better or for worse, maybe, hey, how I know, like maybe can hire a lot of Chinese developers or something. I don't know. Like, you know, I like thought that way um, or, or the Chinese market also, you know, like China is a pretty like sizable market. So um, I, I didn't know. I just like, you know, 
and I also said that the Y Combinator, which was the only other alternative, uh, Techstars had multiple, but you know, Techstars very like city, city by city, and you kind of need like citizenship. They won't get an immigrant basically like to, uh, to be able to join that. So like looking at US, it just felt really complicated. So that's why like China looked like the next best thing. So. Right, right. Yeah. And, and when you, and in the early days when you're building PictoChart, right, was there, um, a moment when you knew that it would be a success because I imagine when you first start, you know, maybe you don't have that many users. You yeah. know. Was there yeah. like, a, like an inflection point where just like yeah. everything just spiked? There was, and it was in the first year. So we went to China Accelerator. I remember demo day lah, was like 31st October mm-hmm. in 2011. Then um, after that, we flew back, incorporated the company. So that's why like this year would be 10 years of, you know, company incorporation anniversary. 2012, we wow. went back to continue refining the product like from beta and everything. 2012, February or March like that, we launched uh, the paid version for the first time. Mm. Nothing really happened, but AppSumo contacted us. And then that was when things like again began to change. Like, I call them, they actually helped us find our inflection point. Um, so we know oh, wow. that AppSumo is like, today AppSumo is, I feel maybe a bit more diluted to be honest, but then back then it was, a very concentrated pool of like, you know, like your product hunt people at that year, the earliest of your tech evangelists were in AppSumo. And um, they had like yeah. 400, 500,000. They gave me a deal and was like, we'll promote you to all of them. Uh, but you have to give us a very significant cut lah of what you get. Uh, uh, whatever. I just said, okay, like, let's do this. You know, the first month we did the deal, uh, we sold 2000 accounts. That's not bad. Huh? <laughs> wow. 2, 000, that's yeah. good. And actually, um, second month, I think we even managed to continue. Then after that, like we became one of their like best-selling products for a number of years, actually in a row, um, because of wow. the amount that we could sell per month. <laughs> and um, so, like we knew from that that obviously, like you know, if the price point and everything, like all of that was adjusted or product, uh, like we know it provided more features and everything. And the product back then was pretty bare, I have to say, and very, very, very ugly, but usable, mm-hmm. like. It didn't, mm. it was not nice looking. We didn't have a lot of templates, everything, but it was super usable and there was nothing else that, you know, solved for that particular problem. So um, in infographics, especially, and then infographics also feel very hot. So like everything during um, the next couple of years, we were seeing like very high, very, very, very high double digit um, growth organically with us almost doing nothing, no sales and very little wow. getting uh, SEO we did not, but then uh, oh, wow. very little. Yeah. Oh, wow. It sounds like like a little bit sort of, I mean, you took action, but also a little bit by chance. Yeah. You know, there was this moment where it suddenly yeah. you got this global global attention, right? Yes. And, and then people loved it. And that's, and that's, so the tool was so, sounded very specific and niche, but yeah. because you were selling it to a global market, the market yeah. was big enough. Right? Yes, yes, that's right. So, um, and we were known for infographics for like a good four years or so until the, the market itself sucked started like shifting because you know got new players and everything then after that we needed to figure out like who do we want to be you know do we can we continue on this niche or do we not so like yeah those were questions that came later on but for the first four years it was like crazy very very crazy growth organically without us doing almost anything wow wow (laughs) (laughs) and and how how has victor evolved over the years yeah so um for uh, I think from a product perspective, like, you know, after this whole like infographics, after that, like it's steadied off. Like today, if you look at um, Google search volume for the word infographic, right? Like 
uh, the 2012 years were like up, 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 and then at a certain uh, um, stage, it just started like tapering off. So we knew that we couldn't continue riding on this like infographic thing forever. Uh, it took us a while actually to find out what is it that we wanted to do. So we started by doing the things that were most like commonsensical, you know, so offer formats because infographics at the end of the day, like, you know, some people see it as a infinite piece of like visual, <laughs> you know, like it's just long and super long. Uh, that was the initial perception. But then when we looked at how people use the infographics, some people used it in, you know, like social media, like a really short blurb of a stack and then they use it. A news is quite common that they do something like, you know, 67 people, percent of people are more likely to get COVID if, you know, they have blah, like that, that type of uh, visuals and stats. And then you also have reports and actually reports are still one of our most popular uh, formats until today. And some people use infographics and presentations and all that. So we just realized like, let's make ourselves as format agnostic as possible because as long as people are coming to it like design information of some sort let's mm. you know like we have to make sure that we are the best like that so we did more like you know charting tools maps tools um and all that kind of stuff but uh growth didn't you know like it was enough to sustain us but it wasn't like growing as you know crazy as before so like right. that um that was the period where we were a bit to be honest lost because we were trying to figure out like who we wanted to be and then only about like one to two years ago, we started realizing that at the end of the day, the root, like we needed a bigger vision, basically. <laughs> the root of infographics is um, helping people get a message across using a visual. So like we expanded what we were, like meaning uh, more by value rather than by feature. And then that was when I think we started realizing, okay, we can actually reinvent ourselves in like some different ways so that, you know, PictoChart could still cater to the, to the people who like love us because of the reasons that you know they find a product market fit with us but um we could also cater to other people who actually really care about storytelling or about you know data visualization or about diagramming um and you know all these things and become that uh that space for them so we're still in a journey to like reinvent ourselves and i we're not done like but that process took us a bit of time to figure out what we actually wanted to be <laughs> Yeah. Right, right. And 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 I, I believe you're also one of the few successful startups that um never raise money, as in it, mm -hmm. you, you know, it's all run sustainably, right? Yeah. Through your own revenues, which is very impressive. I mean yeah. now you know when you look at news, right? Um it's mostly startups that raise money that get celebrated yeah. a lot. Yeah. And startups that don't you don't get that much attention. But I think that's you know, yeah. that's really hard to achieve. What are your thoughts around this whole topic of raising money or building something sustainable? Yeah, I, I, uh, and I told you this earlier, so I, I write quite a bit about it because I feel like there's so much of pressure, like dumb pressure actually, like to raise funds. Um, I, I don't think bootstrapping is for everyone, to be very, very frank and honest too, but I felt that, and that's why like my entire life has always been about like living life backwards, right? If you knew clearly what kind of company you want to be, in the future, like what size, you know, by when, blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff, then you're able to like reverse engineer, you know, what the company should look like at that time. So it's not so much about like giving up control and all that, but look, we're a four-day work week organization. We're fully remote. Um, we took some time to get lost. We have time, you know, in order to like innovate on like new products that we're thinking about building like a video uh, storytelling type of tool. Like if we don't, like if we had investors, there's no way, you know, you could take your own sweet time and then like you could do a 40 work week or like that. there's just no way, you know. Um, and, but uh, in order to be like, I think in order for 
a founder or an entrepreneur to decide whether or not to be bootstrapped, the first thing that they've got to answer is, well, who do I want to be and how big do I want to be? Once they've answered that question, then, and also depending on their industry or in their space, then they can decide whether or not it's feasible. But I, I looked at it, of course, there were certain industries that it was almost, I've not found a single bootstrap company, for example. FinTech is one of them, actually very, I, I think it's a space that's very tough to bootstrap because of um, the regulation or, you know, just basically the, the leverage or the, the cushion that you need, right, in order to build a very successful um, fintech company, like I, I bet I barely found one. Um, in SaaS, however, there's actually a lot, like really, really a lot. Um, each of them conquers a particular niche, know what they stand for, and they know exactly how big they want to build, and they're not, they're not like crazily running the race for the sake of running a race, and they intend to be like very, you know, lifelong type of companies. Um, so, really depends on the founders i think ambitions and goals uh and ambition also so yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so it really sounds like i suppose if you're a startup that sells to businesses right yeah you there is some chance that you can try to bootstrap it because businesses will pay for services mm. uh whereas if you're selling to consumers or as in your main users are consumers maybe a bit harder yeah. uh yeah. to bootstrap Yes and no. I mean, like, uh, one of the, like, everyone talks about this in the SaaS world, right, is MailChimp. So MailChimp raised almost mm. nothing for the first 10 years, I think. Mm. Um, and that is like, hey, they, they're the giant, you know, they're the Goliath in the space. But I have to say, they're rarity. Like, I did a, a study of, like, uh, bootstrap SaaS companies, like, which ones? And then I found that there were similarities. So in MailChimp mm. space, there was more bootstrap companies. They had more bootstrap competitors. It's a very fragmented market. And then... Uh, uh, what was it like there were a few more like more uh infrastructure like delivery type of platforms like pass uh also if like somehow if there's one bootstrap like i i feel like the trend is like like multiple bootstrap you know and then if the market's extremely and severely competitive and funded then it's quite i don't say it's hard like we are in one such market but um it, it will be i guess more challenging but there are ways i felt like even selling to consumer just just not grab for marketplaces, like, you know, uh, like grab. Like, right, right. Like, not possible. Like you, you either have to be the biggest, that's why not a single Uber or anything similar to Uber in any country in the world at all isn't funded. <laughs> it's right. impossible in <laughs> right. that sense, like, yeah. Right. So it sounds like certain businesses where there's like one winner type of businesses and there's yeah. a lot of like investor funding, right? Yeah. It's very difficult to go in without funding Yeah. Uh, because those startups will just burn money and you yeah. know, it's hard to compete, like, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I SaaS is possible. That's why I, I kept like harping in on SaaS, the fact that you have recurring revenue and the like in every industry, you can still slice and dice it to find niche, you know, so that you can own it um, and be the best at that particular niche then i think bootstrapping again is usually possible yeah mm -hmm. so what, what do you um uh what are things that you hear about being an entrepreneur like you hear a lot of advice about being an entrepreneur stuff like yeah. that right uh or being in the tech industry that you think um outsiders uh, uh it's actually really hard but but a lot of outsiders think is very easy hmm yeah i I thought about this one. So um, uh, I don't know if I have a very good answer, but <laughs> so some people these days like think that building software is so easy and then they go like, uh, and even this happened when we were building, you know, PictoChart in the early days and people said like, hey, anyone can do it. Anyone can replicate your idea and you know, the barriers to entry are so low. 
Yes, but mm. did you all consider that product building is just one thing? Distribution is everything, right? <laughs> distribution yeah. is like the other big side of it, right? So I always think people underestimate distribution and they all think like, oh, you have the best product and then, you know, people will come to you. Untrue. People will just come, right? Untrue. Right, yeah. so <laughs> it, you need a really good product because it helps retention. Like, in fact, you do all the mm. distribution you want, there's no use of because like, you know, your, your product is a leaky bucket. So that one like product plays a role, but without distribution, then you have a very solid bucket, but then nobody knows about it, then it also dies. So I felt that distribution is very, very underrated. Um, compared right. to like product building, like you know, everyone talks about having the best product and it's so easy to build software. So <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. And then and, and also when if you watch um like um popular, let's say shows or movies about startups and stuff like that, there's always a lot of focus on the technology. Yeah. But you know, but people don't understand the entire picture, right? It's not yeah. just the technology, you know, like yeah. the it's an entire engine, right? There's a marketing team, a sales team, you know, mm-hmm. that distributes this like, Um yeah. uh yeah, so yeah, so so just I, I suppose it needs to be a good product, but mm-hmm. that's not the that's not all that's not the final answer, yeah. right? That's not all, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um what's the reverse then? What what do you think is actually easier than it looks? Um, I also thought about this, but this one, I guess like, okay, like building a really good team, right? I, I didn't know which category, but I, I don't know. Some people I think underestimated, well, some people overestimated, so never mind. Um, but building a, a team, I found it to, it's always, uh, harder than it looks like, you know, again, people like, I'm not so tough, go, you know, raise a bunch of money, then attract all the smart people from all different companies join you, like super tough actually to get people, good people to join you. Um, but, uh, the, the other one from me, at least, like I thought quite specifically, uh, many times I was like, how is this so hard? Like, you know, especially when working with my team, I think making and being courageous enough to make decisions based on incomplete data and making bets, it's actually, uh, you know, it's actually easier than what people think it is. So uh, I quoted like somebody that I knew formerly from Grab, right? And then he said like, when they decide to go into like new projects and new verticals, they don't take like, you know, like you would imagine this is grab, right? Like they will sit through, you know, management, like meetings with like reports from analysts and then call in like this consultancy firm, that consultancy firm, and then sit and think, hey, it's like actually the process has nothing to do with that. It is about putting across hypotheses, right? It's just words like without, yeah. of course, it got some numbers, but then not very like overly, you know, worked up or anything. And then you just put it to test in the real world. Like that is the only thing that you've got to do. And I, I think that that is something that's quite easy to do, but people... A, a lot of people, at least also in my team, I have to say, um, overthink this part. And uh, when I read about like Amazon and all that and their secret to success, like they also name all of these things, you know, bias for action and the fact that you are willing to put your thoughts and your, you know, your best bets like, to practice, but try them in smaller ways. But I also have to say, of course, we being smaller, we can't afford like, you know, for million dollar projects to fail. So um, the way is like, what's the smallest, quickest way in order to test uh, and disprove, disprove the hypothesis. But I, I feel like most of the time, my team, especially, I suffer this a lot because I felt like it's not that tough to put out a small experiment to test whether the idea has legs versus like spending years mm-hmm. on developing something and then after that, you know, disproving it. But somehow the mentality is always like, no, 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 but you know, this, like just showing a Figma prototype isn't going to be good enough. We need to build it. Like we need to be more high fidelity, whatever. Like I'm, I'm very against that. I'm more for like, you've got to put your idea outside and no matter how much research or data you put into this, it's, 
yeah, it's not gonna yield results until yeah. the real world. Yeah. Well, one thing I've learned from building a startup is a lot of people are very, very shocked and leery about their own ideas. Uh, you know, yeah. meaning that everyone thinks their ideas are very good, but you yeah. only know if it's good when you put it to the market, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and also, and also you brought a very good point. I, I think there is a certain, um, uh, I, I did some, um, some sort of conversation uh, mm-hmm. lately, and I also spoke about something like, there's a there's a science of process uh, to innovation and creativity, mm. you know. So so and and you don't like you say you don't have to uh you don't have to like look through lots of numbers and stuff. Everything can be like us. Uh, the first thing is you're allowed to talk about things that might come across as stupid, mm. because in a way, if it doesn't sound stupid, it probably means someone else is doing it already, right? As mm. in like when you're doing that creative process, and but once you oh. come up with some idea that you think might work, the only way you know is to actually have a hypothesis right and then yeah. launch it yeah you know uh that's yeah. the only way and then yeah. so you should see every launch uh, as an experiment with a potential expiry date you yeah. know uh yeah. and, and, and then you keep iterating on that uh. yeah and that's how innovation is done right that there's actually a process to it yeah yeah so there's a lot like i i can't say we're very good at it but i i find that this topic like innovating looks easier but it just sounds really hard <laughs> in everyone's mind that's all <laughs> the other thing you mentioned just now was yeah. about the building a team right you did yeah. say that you know uh yeah. so that uh and and um obviously when you first started the company you didn't have managerial experience before then right oh. you, you, know, you you kind of start you, you you sort of stumbled on it it grew and now yeah. suddenly you're a boss yeah so <laughs> how did and there wasn't anyone that you could you know look too right to yeah. say that, oh my boss needs to train me like this so i should be the same yeah. so how did you develop that part honestly very very tough um i care like i always say your strengths are your weaknesses so you need to be very careful one of my strengths i have multiple strengths but one of my strengths which is also my greatest weakness is i care a lot about people uh when you're a first-time boss you know although we've gone through a, a lot of time now um I like I realized that in retrospect there were a lot of things that I should have done as a good leader and a good leader actually means like good leadership actually means making you know really tough uh, difficult like uh, decisions as well so one of the things that and I'll say this pretty candidly because I think I've talked about this like in other places as well when we first started hiring obviously we didn't know what kind of bar you know like to aspire for so like anybody who could design take lah anybody who could develop you know take lah um over the years, every single year, because we're growing internally, right? Like by by our own development, and everything, like the hiring bar keeps getting higher. And like mm. people in the earlier years are then struggling like, to catch up. And I don't completely blame it on them because when they were hired, let's say, you know, we were looking for a triangle, but the organization over two years like became a Pentagon. You know, we're now looking for Pentagons. And it's not their fault. Like if they they are very comfortable like being a triangle and they're good at being a triangle, but then you know, skill sets and everything, it's already evolved so like quickly. So um uh I you know I kind of felt that a lot of those decisions, especially in the earlier days, I made like a I I messed up like big time, you know, in terms of like how I uh managed talent or let them go or promoted or whatever. Like a, a lot of it was like very, very messy. Then I got in a HR person um, who was very, very mature. She didn't have a solid HR background, but her heart was at the right place. And she helped to like put a number of things, you know, um, into place. And today, yet again, we're like going through the next uh, shift already because today the, the 
type of like people I hire sometimes to be like VPs or whatever reporting to me, they are people that usually I will look at them in like they are, you know, they're, they're at the, the world stage already. <laughs> like these people, any one of them, I expect them to be like a CMO or see something old of a really big company in like just a few more years. Like they're, they're almost there already, you know? So like the gap is growing and growing and growing so much. And um, I need to constantly be working, you know, like to upgrade myself. Otherwise I can't like, I can't, you know, because they are reporting to me and I'm managing them. So if I don't grow uh, quicker or like as quickly as they are, then it's it's going to be tough. But honestly, on talent management, I made a ton of mistakes. Um, I'm going to be completely honest with that. There was, I, I wish I did more, like, you know, like got a proper HR person like earlier, uh, you know, seek out mentors <laughs> earlier, read more books earlier. I, I wish I did all of this, but I didn't. I just built the business and I, you know, I thought I was doing the right thing because my heart was at the right place, but I didn't know I do need to <laughs> treat talent properly. <laughs> and like I treated them properly, but a bit... <laughs> Too much, you know, like no, how, how to say, uh, no no enforcement, nothing at all. Like just let the place run wild. Uh, um, that wasn't right. So. <laughs> Sounds like, uh, yeah, like um, uh, I, I, I hear this kind of story for especially like founders in the early years, right? Yeah. Like you have this team and, and you don't know how hard you want to be on them. People join the startup yeah. also partially because it's cool. Yeah. You know, many different reasons. Yeah. And being, so you are, so there's there's a call of some Steve Jobs type personalities, but you sound like you're the opposite end. Uh, like no, maybe a bit too unwilling to have a very tough conversation, yes. right? Because you yes. because you don't want maybe perhaps you you're trying or maybe your idea of what a good boss is yeah. is not the the, the good one uh, at that time. Yeah, uh, right? yeah. No, you're you're uh, totally spot on. I, I'm not I'm not even embarrassed to say these things because I feel like I should have gotten a lot of this experience even if i don't have it like either by hiring someone or you know getting a mentor or reading a ton more about leadership but uh i didn't invest a lot of my time in that because i thought i was doing the right thing you know i was convinced that treating like you know get the best of the people that you can treat them the best and then you know like uh, retain you know as many as you can and that was it like that was mm. leadership but over time obviously i realized that wasn't the case <laughs> mm, um, mm. And, and now it sounds like you're, you're obviously hiring a lot of high caliber people you know yeah. like reporting to you and I, yeah. I find it so interesting and i suppose refreshing for a lot of people listening because uh, very often people on the outside look at founders as this sort of godlike personality but mm. they forget that you know like you're a person uh, they're sort of like yeah. a human being you're kind of learning along the way yeah uh, i am, I right? am. <laughs> yeah I, I had a like uh, some friends actually in uh like in kl like they are founders themselves they, they don't run like you know uh businesses that sell you know internationally and all that but then um they were asking me like how do you get these people to join you you know and i i go like I have a tip and my tip is <laughs> you be completely vulnerable. Like what I do is um, the, the JD, I cannot be like, because that's like public and in, you know, to the world. But for all of these people, I, I wrote like, you know, a letter to like my future, for example, VP or whatever. And then um, I would like put there like a SWOT analysis of the company where I think it stands, where I think like, you know, the, that particular team is struggling with what I want the person to do. Um, and all in a very transparent way. And I share that with a few candidates that I'm, you know, having a very good conversation with. And that transparency has always been like oh, wow. the thing, the thing, like literally like two of my most, uh, you know, high life, uh, amazing, you know, leaders so far, like they, they both said, I join you for that reason. <laughs> because you were, I... you know, you were clear that you had a problem to solve. You knew what you wanted this person to do. And you also showed us that you trusted us enough, like, you know, like to, 
uh, to deal with the problem. And th that transparency was very different like, compared to a lot of organizations. Um, so I, I learned I, it. I and really now, love like, that. Yeah, it's like my secret, you know, I go around like uh, on LinkedIn or whatever, like whenever I'm having a good, like I have a good sense that this person will be a good fit, then um, I'll send them that and usually it gets me the first call because it's not easy, oh, wow. you know, people are like, why would they trust a company all the way based in Malaysia, uh, you know, bootstrap, not funded some more and then <laughs> like it's tough, it's tough like for them to have that much of trust. Uh, so. Yeah, no, I learned that. Like it's so it's so it's personal, but it's not fluffy, right? You're, oh. you're sharing like very like solid real information. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> and very and very thought through, right? So they know yeah. that oh this person this comes legit. This yeah. person has thought through exactly what my role would be like. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, and and challenges like there's nothing good on the document actually I have to be honest it's all the bad stuff so <laughs> that's why I need the person to realize like you're joining a company these are the things the upsides I hope you discover and most of the time they join they're like you didn't tell me that there's such nice people in the organization I'm like yeah but that's for you to discover you know <laughs> so but the the biggest part for me is that I need to paint a bleak picture because for the right person they will find this very challenging and they'll be like I want this you know I want this right now like I want to uh, I want the type of you know my, like the next step in my career I need to be able to show that I can turn you know this type of things and they will take on a challenge the right people will take it on so I'm so far trying it it's working I recommend it <laughs> I, I, I like it yeah. like I'm selling to the person I, I wonder yeah. if you can relate to this because one of the things I say is I have been sort of criticized before like, sort of like yeah. in that in what we also care a lot about culture but yeah. As soon as a candidate, let's say if I ask them, well, why are you interested in this? When they say, oh, I, I like it because of your culture, I think it's very yeah. chill. I almost 90% of the time reject it yes. based yes. on that reason. So some people yeah. ask me, why you why you build this culture that yeah. is attracting talent? But when someone tells you that's why they want to join, you say no. And I say, yeah. well, because I don't want them to come for that reason. You know, I want yeah. them to come to help build the company, build this and that. Yeah, yeah. And as a reward, they get a good culture, you know, sort of yeah. like that, right? Mm. No, uh, I, I agree with what you're doing though. I, mm, I I don't know the last time I heard about like an answer that, you know, somebody said like purely culture. Actually, more than anything, I need to ensure that their purpose, their like life or professional, whatever you want to call it, like purpose and mission, right? It's aligned to the companies. Like meaning by taking this step, they are progressing, you know, in their like whatever it is that they want. It has to be a perfect fit. Mm. Otherwise, there will always be a problem. So culture compensation, all these like to be kind of wrong questions. Like, I mean, sorry, wrong answers because yeah, mm. the person will not ending, uh, end up being a good fit like, usually. Mm. 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 What, what advice uh, do you, that you hear that's commonly given about building a company that you think people should ignore? Mm. Uh, uh, I don't know. I, I guess like, okay, one of it's like raise a lot of funding. <laughs> Uh, you know, higher fast, fire fast. I don't really believe in mm. that. Um, I mm. don't actually. There are a lot of things I don't believe in. It just depends which one you throw at me. Because I'm so unconventional, you know. Like, and some people even say like, don't build your company with uh, people close to you, like friends, etc. I built it with my husband. Um, yeah, and then you know, like some people told me that if you don't like, you want work-life balance, you can't build like a successful company. I'm like rubbish. <laughs> so, like whatever it is, I feel like there's so many things that I don't agree with. So yeah. <laughs> and and if someone was like um, a very young motivated fresh graduate right yeah. so they just come out of university and they want to start a business right mm. they aspire to start one. what advice would you give them um 
okay, this one, I, I felt like most of the time, what, like, uh, actually the person, one of the persons could have been my sister. So I actually, for her, I asked her, can you answer a couple of questions like really well, you know, for me? And once you have then, like, I think you're quite ready, like, you know, to go and start your own business. Actually, it doesn't matter whether you're a fresh grad or you're like 40 years old, it, it has not much of a difference. Mm. First one, like, do you have a problem that you care about super passionately? Meaning when the going gets tough, you're still able to keep doing it because you care about that particular problem space a lot and it's not like just to make money. And then the second one is like, do you know roughly how big you want to be and why? Like, do you have a reason? So some people like me, right? I don't want to be the Goliath, you know? So I know, I, I still have a number in my head like where I roughly need to be, like my own financial planning in my life. Um, and then the third one is like, kind of like, what are you prepared to do in order to achieve it because some people go like yeah i want to be the next tesla in self-driving cars believe me i've heard that thing and i was like that's great so what are you prepared to do right. now you know like what are you willing to give up so no it's not it's not anything i don't want to throw cold water also on people it's just that i'm like if you have such a grandiose goal you need to work right now like to get that like you know um, elon musk did not become elon musk overnight like he like, if you look at his biography or something, he read like one to two books per day, you know, like per day. <laughs> I mean, that's not a normal human being. So you've got to, like, the bigger your goals are, the more you have to sacrifice and you have to get started immediately. And um, the fourth thing that, and this one I told my sister because she is an aspiring, I have multiple sisters and uh, two are actually entrepreneurs. Um, the uh, one who, the only one that is left to like join us right now, I kept telling her that building a business isn't all about, you know, like she's a marketing person. So it isn't all about the smarts and your intelligence, you know, technical knowledge, which can be, you know, built over time. If you're going to be an entrepreneur, one of the biggest thing you need is like emotional intelligence or like how to build a team, you know, like how do you attract like very good people, um, uh, the the hit space uh, that it takes up uh, in an entrepreneur, right? Dealing with people problems is very, very real. You need you need stability yourself and maturity in order to deal with all of these problems, like the finding good people, setting a really good culture, you know, letting go of people. Um, like all these things require a lot of resilience and maturity in a person. And I felt like that's like the, the fourth thing. Uh, but um, yeah, most of the time, like anyone, it doesn't matter what age they are. Like I kind of ask a couple of these questions and if they can't really answer any of them convincingly, I'm like, can you go back to drawing board? Because later in time, you will thank me for it. <laughs> like throwing you back to the drawing board. Yeah, like lots of people just think I have this problem space. I'm going to raise money, you know, like let me build my pitch deck. And then it comes to me at the pitch deck. I'm like, okay, wait, why are you starting this business? Like, where do you want to be? How big do you want to be? And all that. But they don't realize there's a reason, right? Like um, mm. the, the entrepreneurship part, it's like, it's very easy to start something. It's not easy to grow it or to keep doing it because um, the going will get tough. It isn't always that beautiful and smooth sailing yeah. it is in the early days. Lah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Start, starting is always fun, right? Yeah. Like everyone's, your friends sit around in the group and like, yeah. let's discuss this idea and yeah. every idea sounds amazing, right? Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, need to be realistic. <laughs> yeah. And, and on people, right? On the question of people and it comes to your yeah. team, uh, what three words do you think your colleagues would use to describe you? Oh, yeah, I had to go why? ask because I wasn't very sure. So uh, I was quite sure. <laughs> you actually asked. Yeah, okay. One, one word I was quite sure was, I think they would use something like nice, caring, empathetic. And I was right. They did use that. <laughs> like That one I was quite mm. sure. And then, um, but I didn't know what the other two would be. So I like, you know, like look, see, and then ask a few. And then uh, one they said was walks. They, 
I walked the talk and it was quite consistent. I came up, uh, yeah, that whatever I say I will do. And then the other one is my level of productivity is insane. They call it hyper productivity. <laughs> I know this. I, I, um, in other words, I'm very, very fast. <laughs> so uh, mm-hmm. it's both a strength and a weakness, this one, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and when it comes to communication, I'm going to combine these two questions. Uh. Do you have any good techniques for giving and receiving negative feedback or like, or in general, how do you sort of communicate an idea very effectively to someone else? Um, yeah, I, I feel, although I'm in a visual communication company, I still need to learn to do this better, but, but I do have a couple of things that I regularly, you know, coach my, uh, especially leaders about this, like the simple one on giving constructive feedback, uh, situation behavior impact, you know, don't, um, like remove any words that personalize that feedback. So like, it could be, you know, like when you did this, like it made me feel like this and then, uh, you know, kind of impact, etc. But don't use things like that was stupid or, you know, that like, like, yeah, anything like that, that then throws it back to the person instead of the behavior. And then also uh, regularly giving feedback helps actually if you like nine months, uh, don't give any feedback. Suddenly you give a feedback. Of course, people find it like, you know, like, hey, what's this? Like, where did this come from? But if you're constantly giving feedback, like every other one-on-one, I hear something from you, it somehow becomes more like, okay, I, I get it. You know, like this person um, intends it for, you know, my, like the intent uh, that the person is having is actually quite a good one. So I, I think the whole like building trust and everything, but I have to say um, building a, a um, culture of like radical candor with which we have been trying for years now has not been easy at all. Like <laughs> mm. um, I, I really think it's one of the, harder things in building uh, a, a strong culture uh, to be able to mm. give and receive uh, constructive feedback. Yeah. Constructive feedback. Mm. And, and um, so it also sounds like, and I like what you mentioned just now, is that you said that, uh, you said that um, by giving feedback consistently, right, basically, rather than like yeah. after nine months, you hear one big feedback, yeah. uh, sort of, um, reduces the intensity of the feedback and makes it easier to receive the feedback because right? yeah. you're so used to it. That's right. That's right. right? So, yeah, I, I had my moment also. I have a little story on this. It was the first time I uh, let go of two persons and I remember the date even because it's like, it's a scar in my entire life, you know? So um, 30th of September of 2014, I had to let go oh, of wow. two persons, okay? Two ladies mm. in my marketing team. And um, I was very nice. I told you I was disillusioned as a leader. You know, I thought that as long as you're nice and then you treat your people well, retain your best and everything will be okay. But these two were creating a lot, a lot of problems like culturally and many other ways. Like. So um, when I gave them feedback, I was like, I, I cannot, you know, continue having you all in the, the company. Like I, I can't forget their faces and they're like, why didn't you tell me this? Like, it's like a movie, you know, that plays in my head for a long time. Like, um, yeah. yeah, and that, that wow. was just like, I, it was so powerful for me. And since then, you can imagine, I got bolder and bolder and my feedback became more regular. And it's now like, it got to the point where, like this morning, I, I didn't even prepare and I, you know, we were, we happened to talk about something. I was like, oh, wait, by the way, here's the feedback, you know, like uh, this, this, like you could have, also, you know, done it this way and blah, blah, blah. Like, um, and people just take it because they, they know already that I, you know, yeah, they know that I can trust. And I also ask for feedback, by the way. So it's not like I give you give and then I don't give them the opportunity. I'll give them time to think. I ask them to write it to me and, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, but that, that there was a moment why I learned and how I started to learn that the importance of giving constructive feedback. Um, so, mm. 
Mm. Oh, I love that. I, and and um and how would an employee in your company, right, yeah. um, actually gain trust or build a professional relationship with you? Yeah, actually, everyone who joins the company, uh, I'm a very trusting person. It's another one of the things that people tell me. I think you trust your people too much. I I heard that feedback multiple times. Um, so all people when they join the company, they already have my trust. The issue is after that, uh, the trust may erode for different reasons. But I I try to think you know like gaining my trust isn't a problem because I already automatically give you trust. You can only do things to erode that trust. You can't do things to like gain more because I I trust you know the man, hiring managers or whoever that brought them in. So um, I find that one of the biggest things there are multiple things one of it is being a, a liar or a hypocrite so someone who says that they are something but then they end up to be someone else you know like that mm. is one of the biggest no-no for me like integrity is super big i don't like liars at all i don't like gossipers for that reason i don't like um hypocrite it's even written in a culture book <laughs> like that i mm. i do not tolerate these things um and they're mm. like severe the other one for me that erodes trust is when I find a person being really uh, arrogant. Maybe they're very smart or they're very capable, but then they they have it their way and they can't be humble to consider others' point of view. So it's like you're in a conversation, you give them feedback, and then all they're like, "No, but I'm right." But hey, you're not listening to me. I'm like, "Wait, wait." Like <laughs> you even realizing that <laughs> you know what's happening because to me that erodes trust because I feel like I can't trust this person anymore because he can't even he or she can't even hear anything. So they become, you know, like a god in their own world like that. Um, the third one that I feel erodes trust, or at least I try to think back about previous cases where it happened, is actually a very unpredictable or explosive type of personality. And we're a very creative company, so I'm not going to deny that there are a lot of explosive type of personalities. Because it's, I don't know, it's something that belongs to like creative people, right? So, um, but... Like over time, I needed to tell people, you know, like again, try to show like, okay, these are good ways of like personalities are fine. Like I'm, I'm asking introverts, hey, you don't, be, don't need to be extroverts. And if you have an explosive personality, I'm not asking you to turn it down, but don't become too unpredictable. You know, like, like you say something and like that person goes into this little quiet corner and then like be super depressed for a while because I find that this type of volatile um, characters can actually uh, like it doesn't create that, you know, the psychological safety that Google keeps like talking about. It doesn't create that type of environment because people, they walk around this person like a, I call it like, you know, like eggshells on the floor because they don't know how to react around that person. So that's why I think there's just a couple of ways like, to diminish trust, you know, basically lie, be a hypocrite, <laughs> not being humble and um, being completely unpredictable uh, is another mm. yeah major way in my books like, at least. Yeah. And, and what, what, what sort of factors do you look for when you decide you want to promote someone? Um, most of the time, it's like I'm looking for performance, of course. Like, you know, we have OKRs, so I would be looking at like whether they are achieving them, hitting them. And most of the time, people will talk about them somehow, you know, because even if they're this developer that nobody knows about, like, I don't know, like they, they get noticed a lot. Um, uh, these people usually are not afraid to experiment, not afraid to like take some risks. And then uh, they're able to, you know, connect the dots. And also in terms of cultural values, their communication, everything, they're like quite good. Uh, and, you know, like you can see that the capacity to learn and grow is there. Like, it's just like, you haven't given me opportunity. Otherwise I can do even more, you know? So like when that happens, then usually these type of people get promoted. Mm. 
Right, right. And and in terms of hiring, um, when you're actually interviewing someone for a job in your company, right? Uh, yeah. What are the main things you sort of look out for? And is there any specific interesting story you have about someone that impressed you during the interview? Yeah, we, we in general look for our cultural values. I stick to it quite uh, carefully, um, actually. So like, of course, I have my technical questions, no doubt. Like I did to know that this person is good, you know, for the job that they're doing. Um, I'm looking for humility and the openness to be wrong. Very important and someone adaptable. Then I'm also looking for someone like under open up, right? Like our value that someone respectfully uh, disagrees and they dare to voice out because communication is very, very important since we're fully remote and also very culturally diverse. And then um, mm. under passion, I need somebody who's like loving what they're doing and they don't need to be motivated. Like you don't need to tell them like, go find books to read because they will automatically do it. Uh, we also look for people who care about excellence. And I actually built all of these things into questions, by the way, and cares about like the small things and user-focused, uh, the fact that they you know care about users and all that. And then love in general, which is our last value. Um, I look for generally a nice person. And I know that it sounds difficult to find all of this in one person, but one of the okay, uh, one of the more impressive things I remember. Everyone's story, how they joined Picture, I feel is always quite unique. But then there's one person that I, I feel like I, I won't really forget. So this lady, um, we were looking for a customer support position, and um, you know that we serve the U.S. market, so your English has to be top notch, and uh, you know like. But we weren't really looking for experience. We were just like somebody who can communicate very well with this person. Then this lady did a video compilation of her, her life story. And then, you know, oh. why ultimately you should be hiring, like we should be hiring her. I looked at the video. I was like, hey, no need interview. Let's like, just call her in. <laughs> but then, okay. Like, okay but, um, the, the thing was, uh, so it ended up like she put in so much of effort into it. She was very, very nervous actually because she is kind of entry level, like only one year of like working experience. She came in and I think in about four years time, she was groomed and trained under another like uh, very experienced like customer support uh, person who left us. And then when that person left, she took over the uh, role of a manager. And today, like she's still one, definitely one of our best hires. Like she goes above and beyond for every single thing that she does. Sometimes I feel like she does such a good job that I'm like, hey, you want to do product management? <laughs> like, you know, because she's so willing to take on everything and collaborative and all that. But it showed like her first application in the application itself. I was like, I want this girl. You know, I want her to work with us. Mm. Um, mm. And I, I felt that that girl was very impressive and still I remember it because the video, it was simple, but then I saw the amount of effort and like she checked all of the boxes, you know, <laughs> like why, um, yeah. Uh, she needed, and she really was the correct highlight until today. So, yeah. Yeah. So I think, like, I think it's um these sort of personalities are, but they tend to do well in their careers in the in the sense where they really put in everything they want they have yes. into a role, right? Yeah. Because I I have actually sort of managed the opposite before. People that do the minimum. So as yeah. an example, like, let's say it's a salesperson, and you tell yeah. them, oh, I need you to make thirty calls today. They yeah. will literally just make 30 calls. 30 calls, I know. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they'll tell you, I, I made 30 calls. You know, I didn't yeah. succeed. I don't know what. Whereas someone yeah. else might do like 50 calls. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, so it's that sort of mentality that is yeah. like, it's very important. I, I know, I know. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and for yourself, right, I think like um, mm. when you're obviously running a business is very intense, as you said, right? So many things yeah. going on. Do you have any general sort of life or wellness routines uh, that you mm. follow? 
such as yeah. exercise, meditation, you know, yeah. diets, you know. I have to be honest, before pandemic, I'm not, um, I was very bad. Like I wear this, you know, like fitness tracker just to see how many steps I, I did. And I think on average, when I was back then commuting to the office uh, last year, before we went all remote, I, I, on average on a working day, I think I have like two to 3,000 steps, like really bad. And I tried to increase it, but I, I couldn't. Then the second we started going remote, like I feel like I'm going crazy, you know, at home because it's my life and my work and my daughter and like, Everything is here, you know? So then I needed to have a routine. So um, thanks to the pandemic, I do have now a new routine, which is uh, most of the days, she's having a Zoom class. Uh, we have a babysitter though. So um, we all wake up pretty late actually. And then uh, she will go for her class and then I'll have breakfast and immediately at like, you know, I get uh, to work. Then uh, I get lunch delivered in because I start my day so late. And after lunch, I kind of have this practice because somehow after eating, I think like the sleepiness starts to like set in and usually afternoon is where I have most of my meetings so right after lunch I will get on my treadmill and I'll listen to a podcast or uh, something for like an hour like just walk 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 and you know try to sweat it out then um, after that like go for my stretch of meetings because the European people will be awake at that time so like uh, oh, my okay. yeah after all the meetings then I usually if I can um, if time permits and not a crazy day I love sun tanning at the balcony I feel like that vitamin D um, does a lot. I don't know what is it, but for me, the difference of days when I got sun exposure to the days I did not was very stuck in a change of my mood. So I started to like do my best to incorporate it. My room, I have a small balcony already. I live in an apartment. So I just, um, you know, have some time when I get my like, you know, kind of like yoga mat like that, put it right next to the sun and then just like lie there for a while because it helps a lot. Um, after making dinner, then I would, spend time with my daughter. We try to go for walks uh, if we can around, you know, the, the compound and the space. I read her books, play with her a little while, then it's time for her to go to bed. Um, so <laughs> that's my uh, routine. Then I, I also, for me, because I'm a, a spiritual person, I do read the Bible, I pray and I journal also. And that routine helps me to wind down to go to bed because I'm, I'm very high um, energy person. So it's tough for me to actually stop like thinking. Um, that's why I, I need right. to do something right. that takes me away from thinking of work. And then slowly I wind down after playing with her and everything. Then, you know, like, yeah, go to bed. And then life starts again the next morning. <laughs> right, uh, right. And, and, and you journal at night. Uh. So, yeah. and, so is your journal about like, are you recording what you did during the day or are you journaling different things? Um, I have four broad sections. I'm using an app called Grid Diary. Uh, oh, I use that too. Oh, really? Oh, I was like thinking <laughs> yeah, nobody well, knows about this app. Okay, okay. No, I use that. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah, I, I love it too. So I picked four questions. Yeah. I think it was like, what am I grateful for today? So I'll like think, you know, and it's very important to start your day with like gratitude, right? Um, and then yeah. I have a like, what what do I struggle with today? And I want to remember the struggles that I, because sometimes they become victories the next day, right? And then uh, mm. the other one was like, what, they, what can I or what did I pray for today? And then uh, mm. because I need to leave some things and be like, look, I can't handle all of the things that happened today and I just need to shut it, you know, like close it and be like, that's mm. not in my hands currently. And then um, mm. finally, like, what did I learn today? Um, so mm. all of these things uh, I write every almost every night there are nights of course that I miss it but most of the time I write and that whole practice helps me to sleep you know to be honest because it's like my brain is constantly working and I, I can't yeah. get it to be quiet so the only way is 
like journaling, then, you know, reading Bible, praying, then it calms me down a lot. Then I finally can go to bed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. That's, that's so interesting. Like um, I actually, yeah, I, I use good diet. I use it in the morning. So ah. I also ask a gratefulness question. Um, yeah. The other question that I tend to write is also, uh, what would energize me today? So I actually, mm-hmm. every morning I think about a, a thought that would make me want to sort of seize yes. the day la, rather yeah. than kind of take it easy, yes. you know? So I yes. actually start, so I journal like, and it could be yeah. any random thing, you know, I really, yeah. you know, like time's running out and stuff. And, and I think, yeah. yeah, so so you do it to sort of give you some peace la, yes. to kind of wrap up the day, yes. right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And wait for yeah. the next day. Oh, that's, that's, that's so interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and also you mentioned about like sunlight. I think now that, you know, we're back in lockdown mode, right? A lot of people yeah. forget getting sunlight is important. It so, is. It, right. There's something about it. Like I also, um, previously my schedule, when I was sending my daughter to school, it would have been the opposite. I would pick a drop her at school and it's very early, eight o'clock and I'm back already. So then I would start running on the treadmill. But I found that actually walking on the treadmill, although it's longer time, it helps me more. I'm listening to a podcast or something and I'm, again, you know, thinking, but it's a thinking break and it's healthy. And then together, like, although I'm on the treadmill, I have to say that like the sunlight part, big difference. Like you can A-B test this, mm. your week, mm. you know, like there's going to be a very massive thing <laughs> in, mm. um, in just, I don't know, calmness or mood. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I definitely don't get enough sunlight. It's a good reminder to me also. Um, <laughs> and on days that you don't feel like it, uh, I think, like let's yeah. say, I'm sure you wake up almost, uh, you're yes. not up to it today. Like, yeah. How how do you maintain self-discipline? Um, that, that is the thing. I, I feel like I'm a very naturally disciplined person since I was young. So like that question, I was like, mm, how do I answer this one? But, and also the other thing, I, <laughs> I got a, 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 what do you call it? A quote, okay, from somebody else, Jolo Willink, Jocko, Jocko Willink. He's a leader. Jocko Willink, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You probably know him. He says, discipline equates freedom. I'm like, spot on. You know, like, it's really, really spot on. So, um, the re- the way I organize my day is to actually be really disciplined about it. So I've written about this too, that um, even my chores down to like, you know, laundry, what time and everything. On my weekends, I even have a calendar for that. Not always I put it really on the calendar because these days I don't need, I already know what I need to do by when. Um, I roughly do slot in time like, okay, like the first four hours of my Saturday, let's say, you know, do what with my daughter, what kind of activities and then um, like kind of tire her out, whatever, prepare lunch and then, do this and then, okay, do laundry here and then, you know, clean the house. And then I, I have that. And if I don't have that, then it becomes like, oh, wait, but we forgot to get groceries. Oh, wait, but we, you know, didn't do this. We didn't do that. Like life becomes, um, so for me, I actually ultra plan my days, <laughs> like in order to have mm. discipline, but I'm already mm. disciplined. So it's not tough to be. It just, I, I feel more like much calmer knowing that everything will get done. Um, you know, when mm. I've actually allocated time for different things, even on my weekends. And uh, mm. yeah, so. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, so so uh, just discipline equals freedom. Uh. So yeah. I, I love this phrase. And, and freedom in this context is how I'm trying to understand. Yeah, it. so, um, okay. So that the thing about like what it was trying to say is, okay, if I am disciplined every day, which I slot in now time, like, you know, one hour uh, per day to get on my treadmill, right? I have freedom because I don't need to worry about my health or that, you know, after this, I'll feel like sluggish or I need to go take more vitamins or whatever, like to make, like put myself, I don't because as long as I gave that one hour 
to my body in order to you know like mm. remain physically active i don't have to worry about going to see a doctor like you know more like blood tests whatever in fact i've been pretty healthy actually same thing with reading same thing with allocating time for my daughter and all that like i will not have to like one day when as she's growing up she'll be like actually mom i don't even know you because you don't spend time with me like none of these things will happen because i you know like in that sense there is you're investing time earlier on in order to have freedom of what you want to do instead of later on you pay back all of these things that you didn't do you know in your yeah in mm. your life uh, earlier like kind of like um that was what he said mm. but when he said it and i understood it personally because i found that everything in life you've got to be quite disciplined otherwise you can't um there will be a payback time in every area of our lives yeah so <laughs> I, i i'm going to write this on my journal every day uh, <laughs> discipline equals you know that actually that's the so as a personality i, I think yeah. yes i'm also quite creative but uh i'm more in the moment of person like yeah. a very inventive personality very intense at something oh yeah. i really want to do this now and yeah. i do that but like you say lah yeah you're right that like, it does cause problems in other areas of life yeah. sometimes yeah uh, and it catches up lah Yeah. Uh this is because mm-hmm. you have loved that. Yeah. Uh and um do you have any other sort of uncommon small habits that you have mm. that you believe attributed to your success? Hmm, small habits. Uh I don't even mm. something what, uncommon that maybe. Uh ooh, what could be uncommon? Um I like this part contributes to my hyper productivity lah for sure. So another thing that I do is I do block times um So like even my work calendar, uh, I do like mm. let's say three four hours of like deep work, which means I do not want to be disturbed. So no meetings at all, and I usually have it now like that. Like it alternates. So like morning if it's block time, then afternoon it's like meeting times. Then morning if it's yeah meeting times, then afternoon it's like my block time. So I I alternate so that I have time to think, um, and that's why I can slot in time. And the other thing for me about uh uncommon habits that I think made me really successful is that I'm not hustling all the time. Because your mind wears out. Like I, I was reading this book by uh, Cal Newport. I promoted it quite heavily because I really agree with what was said. Deep work, right? Your your mind also can wear out. It can only do really good quality work um, in a certain amount of hours. The more you do your, the quality of decision making is actually getting worse and worse. So I am a firm believer of that. That's why I also do forty work weeks and everything. Um, I felt you can't you can't be at a hundred percent all the time. You will. Definitely burn out, which will again, you know, you have something to pay later on. So, um, yeah. like that's also why, like walking, doing my treadmill in the middle of the day, <laughs> uh, helps me to you know reset, like like cleanse my plate or something, like palate for a little while, and then you know restart again. Um, all all of these things I try to build in things, small little things that can help me balance up again before I. Overly burnout because I'm a very like you also said like intense personality. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sounds yeah. like if you're planning your weekends uh, using your calendar, sounds yeah. like you're like hardcore organized person. But but now no lah, <laughs> like, not not anymore because uh it I already know what to do, so I don't need to plan it out, you know. And of course I have free time too, like with my daughter and everything. Mm. It's just that I have a daughter that I can't leave her to be on her own, you know. So that means I do roughly need to know. Well, you know, this to this hour. What am I doing for this to this hour? What activity? This like I I need to do it. Like otherwise, I yeah, she'll be sad. Mm. <laughs> um, and I want to ask you now about like um, I suppose going back to picto chart, right? So, what's twenty twenty one 
gonna look like for PictoChart? What's planned for the future? Yeah, we're we're pretty excited because um one we've recently launched the beta version of Picto Story. It's a video like repurposing tool. So like for example, this you know conversation that we have, I can just upload it on the system and then it will auto transcribe and caption everything. And then based on the transcriptions, I can you know search for the word like okay when was it that I talked about you know blocking my entire calendar on the weekend and then I can go to that part and cut that out and then uh, take that one minute click right put it and publish it automatically for uh, LinkedIn or you know one of my social media which oh, then wow. yeah which then makes you know this conversation like instead of a one hour thing I could potentially cut it up and put it into a video format for like you know, for, for people to watch and it's shorter, like just this part about the calendar part, this part about my intense personality, I don't know, this part about hiring or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm so, and, and I think um, actually you, you're probably talking to someone that who would also be very interested in this because like even in what we, we do a lot of content online yeah. and it's such a common problem that we have, you know, yeah. like you, you have this long form content, you record it, and then you have to manually subtitle it, and then you have to manually cut it here and there. You yeah. know? So it sounds like auto, you've automated that process uh, to sort yeah. of fit the the age of how video is used right now, yes. right? Yes, that's right. Talking hits, I call it, because people are talking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and this so Picto story is, is launched, right? So it it's is already, kind of running yeah. already. Yeah, we didn't monetize it yet. Um, so it like in terms of feature, it's still pretty basic, but totally usable. Um, and then mm. uh, later on, you know, within the quarter, hopefully we are also monetizing it and then, you know, putting in some more features. So, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. that's really yeah. nice. Uh, so I want to kind of uh, uh, wrap up the conversation with some quick fire questions. Yeah. If you like, uh, yeah. sometimes quick fire tends to go longer than expected, but we'll see. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so first question, uh, what are some interesting places in Malaysia that you think people should visit? Or maybe Penang, since you're mostly in Penang, uh, or yeah. any cool hangout spots? I have multiple. So I, I like to go for picnics at the botanical gardens. You just have to find spots where monkeys don't exist. Uh, it's, it's not that hard. Like I have an actual picnic spot and we look weird because everyone's like jogging and then, you know, we're there. The other place I really like is the habitat at uh, Penang Hill. So it's a, what do you call that? Rainforest top walking place. Uh, very, very beautiful. So you get like, yeah, the garden. And of course I love the beach too, but that one it's not a cool hangout spot lots of people go there <laughs> yeah <laughs> habitat at Penang Hill well I actually yeah. visited Penang two years ago I don't think I knew about this habitat place oh um, you should go sure it's, check it out uh, next time. it's beautiful and um like you know most days like the clouds are actually covering that area so you're walking in the midst of like the midst uh the mist and you know getting really like good air and you're just looking at rainforest everywhere. The whole place is very wow. well taken care of. I quite recommend okay. it. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, what object have you purchased in the last 12 months that cost less than a thousand ringgit, uh, but you believe has tremendous positive impact on your life? Yo, I really struggle with this one. <laughs> I don't know what I purchased. <laughs> I, I hardly purchased anything. I think, um, good I don't for know. You. Yeah, one, what would I say? Like, I don't know, a new pillow <laughs> that, that helped me. My ring light actually helped me a little bit because I do quite a bit of like, you know, more video calls and everything. 
the reason why I said positive impact is because I feel a little bit better jumping on calls and I don't feel so terrible that my you know whole face like looks terrible. But the one thing I felt was most important during the entire MCU was actually sunlight, but I can't buy that. Uh, that was my biggest, oh, oh, maybe related to sunlight, a sun deck. I got a small foldable sun deck, like a lazy chair so that okay. I can sit outside my balcony right. when the day is good. Uh, that oh, has, sun deck, oh, okay. Yeah, that oh, thing nice. is 70 ringgit, you know, so highly recommend the purchase. <laughs> great, great value, 70 yeah. ringgit, you know, feel yeah. better immediately. Oh, yes, yes, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, what's a non-fiction book that you've read that you believe everyone should read? For me, okay, across the board, it's going to be the Bible, but I know it's a religious book, but if it has to be a business book, I don't even know because I, mm, there, there are always things I'm like, okay, I, I recommend it for this part, but I don't really agree with this. <laughs> I recommend it for this. I don't agree with that. Um, so I, I, yeah, I have a list of book recommendations, but none that I'll be like, this is the only one that I would recommend. Um, so, Right, 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 yeah. right. Actually, it's interesting you gave the answer. I think that's one uh, a very important part, a skill that a lot of people should develop is this ability to, I suppose, I'm not sure what the right phrase is, like to assess for yourself, mm. you know, like uh, be critical of like things that you're consuming. Yeah. Don't, don't just take everything at face yeah. value, you know. Uh, I think it's a very important skill. Uh, so yeah. this independent critical thinking, you know, yeah. especially in the internet age where, People are just bombarded with information, right? Oh, uh, exactly. So even when it comes to books, right? Something oh. that's been printed, it could be like a bestseller, but you can still look at it with a critical eye, right? Like, this is good. I don't agree with that, you know, and yeah. sort of process it with your own views. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's why, yeah. like, I, I read a lot, but I find it very tough to give a book recommendation because it's like, oh, read this if you're trying to do this, read this if you're trying to do that. But like, I don't agree with a lot of things. It's just that, this thing, mm. you know, or let's say four day work week or whatever, like this one's a really good thing you should read. This one is mm. really good for something else, but yeah. <laughs> mm. Cool. Uh, what's a skill uh, that you have that you think other people will find surprising, but it's been very useful to you in your career or in your life? Um, uh, it's quite a funny one. I, I, I didn't know how I used to call it. I called myself a smile quotient, like meter, meaning like I'm a thermometer for like, seeing gauging people's mood i just need to look at you and i can roughly tell how like how how well you're doing you know because sometimes people are very good at like masking their feelings or what they're actually thinking and feeling but i'm usually pretty accurate at that and that has actually been super helpful because we work with people and you know and being able to like hey you you look like something might be bothering you you know like what what's going on is something going on in your personal life and people are always like hey how you know like <laughs> or oh, wow. you know and then they start talking and everything. And of course, I build very good relationships with people. So that's one of the things that, um, like, it's a it's a very good superpower to have. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it, it is. Like, especially if you're building a team, right? Knowing yeah. what's going on is very important. Yeah. Right? Seeing yeah. seeing the unseen, uh, seeing what cannot be seen, uh, right? Yeah. It's very important. Uh, what scene from a movie or TV show is super memorable to you, super memorable and impactful to you and why? Oh, yo, this one problem uh, because I don't really watch movies or TV shows. Um, because I, I almost banned like digital screens. So the last movie I watched was like so many years ago and I, I don't know if any of them really made an impact in my head. I might have to skip this oh, one. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh, you don't watch any of this? That's yeah, I don't watch. Uh, I read, um, but I don't watch. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, what's the best piece of career advice you've received from a mentor or someone you respect? 
I definitely think this one, use your own money to build a company instead of investors to grow it. Like, uh, context, <laughs> yeah, the context of it was we were raising around, we got a, a term sheet and everything we did. Then somebody, he wasn't even really a mentor, but can stay an advisor, like, you know, that I met from time to time. Then he went, like the question, the, the thing went like this. So how much money do you have left in your bank? Then I said, X, 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 you know, amount. Then he was like, uh, how much are you raising? So I said, X. Then he's like, uh, wait a minute. So you have this much, you're trying to raise this much, which is obviously more, but you know, anyway. Uh, and he's like, why aren't you using the money in your bank right now to run your company instead of, you know, like raising like uh, that much and then giving out equity and all that. Like, you know, try it out first. If you fail then, or you need more than whatever you get investors. It's uncommon because most of the time people tell you, hey, don't wait until you don't have money because then people, will, the investors will sense that you're desperate. But I really think that was the best piece of advice. This was in around 2014. And I think since then, we kind of never looked back. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, and uh, who is your role model? Not someone from your family. What behaviors yeah. did they have that you see in yourself and what do you wish you had? Yeah, um, I would say Nancy Duarte. So she really, she's like a mentor to me. She's a, she's a storyteller, like a very professional storyteller in, in the Valley. Mm. Um, uh, we're of definitely, she's a grandmother right now. So like we're definitely of like different ages and everything, but we're both women, we're both mothers. We're both quite ambitious, um, bootstrap. We share the same faith and values. And actually in our life, when we shared it, like her life is, I mean, her journey was much longer. I think she's been running coming at like 50 years or something. So different, different, you know, like different stages for sure. But then um, struggles wise, like we resonated a lot with one another. So commonalities I saw there, but a lot of things that I wish I had. This lady, she has the tenacity and grit that I don't even know what to say. Like her hustle is her hustle, you know, at that age is really, really inspiring me. And then the other thing is that her vision, right? Um, it's like, it may change or it may move or whatever, but to she has it, you know, and it's like clear as sky. And then, you know, she can communicate it very well internally. And I feel like I can't do that. So that's why I'm I'm like, I want to be more like her. <laughs> yeah. Is, is that the lady that is running a communication company? Yes, yes. An agency. Yes. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, right, yeah. Right. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Oh, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, if you could make a video go viral and the video carry the message that's important to you, what would that message be? Um, live your life backwards. So at your deathbed, what are you going to regret doing and not doing? That's my most common <laughs> message that I want people to remember. Um, and also mm. because of what stemmed out of my own experience. Yeah. Mm. yeah yeah no i love that right live your life backwards um because i think and i said also kind of mentioned said this before like a lot of people say that they know their time is limited but but they don't live like it yeah right? people you, you saw you know if you ask them do you know time is limited? They say yeah i know but people don't really live like it they don't they i don't think it's really sunk in. they're not courageous enough like life is always about trade-offs and choices so if you end up chasing one thing then you will definitely have to, you know, have a trade-off like, for another. So like for my case, I chose my trade-offs very, very clearly. I chose not to grow the biggest company in my space. I could have, and you know, I, I think we had a fair shot at doing it, but I chose not to mm. because I knew I was mm. going to regret that decision. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Cool. Last question. What does the word success mean to you? I think related to the last question, so like um, accomplishing what you wanted to do uh, and, you know, um, 
and, and having no regrets like at your deathbed, like that to me is success. Nothing else. Like, <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. right. Having no regrets in the deathbed. Yeah. I, I think absolutely like, like thinking backwards, right? Living, live your life backwards. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Like, uh, I think we went one and a half hours, something like that. That's wow. a really good conversation. Yeah. Uh, I would really love to run this video into your two picto story. I'm very yes. curious now to see yes. how it works. Yeah. Uh, and, right, see how it fish. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> and then yeah. we chop out lots of like little clips here and there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm I'm so glad, by the way, that I, when you told me you, that's what you're building. I've yeah. been looking for a tool like this. I couldn't find it. And then someone in Malaysia is building yeah. it. So that's yeah. uh that's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, check so, it out. yeah, thanks again, I think. No uh, problem. And on one day, one day if I visit Penang when all this kind of entire lockdown thing is over, I'll, I'll drop by Picto Chala if you have oh, me. Yeah, sure. The only thing is we don't have an office anymore. So uh you you will have to like drop by and then you know we, we meet somewhere. But like it's yeah, we, we no longer have an office, so that's the only thing. <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. Oh yeah. you didn't have time to get into that, but maybe yeah. next time I'll ask you about it. Like. Yeah, oh, yeah, so it's yeah. Like fully, full, full remote now, huh? 100 percent remote. remote Full remote and we're also oh, wow. working four days only per week. Yeah. So we don't work Fridays. That's cool. Yeah. So okay. a longer weekend. Okay. Um, but we need it like, you know, creative industries. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mm. Awesome. Uh, so thanks again. Uh, okay. uh, and I'll catch you around. Uh. No problem. See you. All the best. Thank you for listening to the Hello Mentor podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, do hit that subscribe button, whether you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you're trying to have a great career or if you want to succeed in business, um, you will benefit from really, really getting to learn from some of the most inspiring people in Malaysia. And hopefully, you can replicate some of that success yourself. Uh, we have many, many more amazing people joining us soon and we expect to release an episode once every two weeks. So again, do hit that subscribe button to our podcast and you will be notified when the next episode is up. Also, this podcast is supported by WAP the leading professional youth jobs platform in Malaysia. So if you're looking to hire great talent or if you're looking for a new job, do also check us out at wobjobs.com. That's W-O-B-B jobs.com. Thank you again and I look forward to share the next episode with you soon.